Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So what are we talking about today? Well, as we're recording this, it's early June, so I was going to talk about how winter is coming. Did you bring your coat? I did not. Uh, this isn't even a Game of Thrones joke either. Oh, that was a uh, Game of Thrones reference? I was referencing that old animated um, uh, uh, film called Rejected that was back in the early 2000s. I have no idea what you're talking about. I feel like we're talking past each other, but I, I guess we'll just see how this one goes. <laughs> yeah, so this is an episode about AI winters. I'm so curious. Like, if I'm so curious how to know how many of our listeners got my reference versus got yours. It's probably like 98%. <laughs> you're listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah, I am not in that 2%. Uh, you want to talk about AI, though? Sure. What's okay. AI? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Artificial so intelligence. Yeah. AI is the new hotness. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a history lesson in AI and a little bit of uh, context for, you know, where do we think, if we had to speculate, where's the where's the field going in the next year or two? And so in particular, what I wanted to talk about was the idea of AI winters and one of them in particular. And so AI as a field, depending on how you count it, um, by, by most accounts started uh, after World War II. There was this kind of seminal conference in which a bunch of the the grandfathers, the, the great men of the field, and as far as I'm aware, they were all men at this conference, all got together for for a summer and tried to figure out what artificial intelligence was, how to define that as a as a field of study. And that was kind of the kickoff of the field. And so some of them were thinking about it from a computational point of view, like we would maybe recognize today. I'm not sure that there were very many statisticians or folks that we would think of as machine learning folks anymore. But there were definitely, in addition to the, the computer scientists, and there were folks like cognitive scientists and psychologists who are really thinking about it like how can we recreate what we think of as a like a human brain that was like the model of what intelligence was or not even really a, a brain exactly but like a mind what does that even mean and how can we define and start to think about a system that can mimic what we think of as intelligence right and so we do not have anywhere near enough time to go through all of the different instantiations and, and sort of twists and turns in the field in the 50s and 60s. But I want to pick up the story in the 70s. And in particular, talk about an AI winter that started around 1973 and 1974. So a little bit of context here is AI winter. What is that? Uh, AI has kind of a history of a boom and bust cycle of interest. So interest will be quite high and there will be lots of research for, you know, periods of a few years. And then there will be some disappointment or some realization that AI isn't living up to the hype. So very often during that hyper phase, there's a lot of anticipation that there's huge breakthroughs that are just around the corner and that we're getting really close to something that's really uh, like really profound transformations. Mm -hmm. And then people start to become a little bit disillusioned. You know, oh, yeah, a little tired of actually waiting for that yeah. breakthrough to happen. It doesn't actually arrive. And they kind of look around and say like, hey, this AI thing is kind of 
kind of disappointing and oh, interesting and props that I winter i haven't been following it over the entire history and i, I also haven't looked back at the history i i guess i kind of saw this is almost a one-time thing, but of course, history comes in cycles, and you know, AI has been happening since the '70s, so it, this makes a lot of sense. Well, since before the '70s, either even, oh, really? um, yeah. I mean, the first big—I uh, don't know if it was like literally the first big one, but one of the major AI winters was around 1970, 1975 to 1980 or so, maybe. Huh. And that's the one that I wanted to talk about a little bit here because it just gives you some perspective on where AI was. Uh, 25, 45 years ago, 50 years ago. <laughs> okay, so like, take us back, 1973, what kinds of things were people thinking about? What kinds of things were people really excited about? What promise did the future hold? Yeah, so in 1973, there was a seminal report that was released called the Light Hill Report. And this was written by a professor uh, named Sir James Lighthill. Uh, he was the Lucasian professor of mathematics uh, in Cambridge, I think, um, and which is this very prestigious uh, professorship. It's the one that Stephen Hawking had and Sir Isaac Newton and whatnot. So very uh, respected, you know, kind of public intellectual smart guy. And he wrote this report on behalf of the British government, who wanted to have an understanding of how this field of AI was doing. And they were interested in this because they were funding a lot of it. So they're like, hey, we keep hearing about all this AI stuff. Can you go learn about what's going on in this field and give us give us your take on what's happening in this field? And so he wrote this report. It was called, like I said, the Light Hill Report, and it was released in 1973. And it was pretty pessimistic, actually. And I'll go into the details of the report in, in a moment so that you have a, a little bit of a closer view of what people were thinking about at the time. But the effect of it was within a couple of years to prompt an AI winter, because the folks who were reading this report were folks like funders and policymakers in the British government. And so uh, based on some of the pessimism in this report, they actually withdrew funding from a lot of major projects, and all mm -hmm. except three universities shut down uh, their AI programs as a result. So the field really went pretty dormant uh, in the United Kingdom for uh, for several years as a probably like a a fairly direct result of some of the criticisms that were in this field. And when it came back, it was uh, it was different. It was um, more practical. Um, it was there was less research on sort of basic tasks, and more of it was like what kind of problem are we trying to solve with AI, not solving you know, kind of abstract AI theoretical problems. I see. So this is kind of the first time where people who had these really lofty ambitions realized, okay, actually we need to kind of focus on like real pragmatic impact because, you know, this <laughs> the funding that we rely on can be cut if we don't see those uh, steps. Yeah. And in particular, that was definitely a thing that was happening in the United States at the same time. So DARPA is this program that's run through the Department of Defense in the United States, and they were at the same time moving over a lot of their funding model from basic research to mis mission-oriented research because um, they were seeing the same thing. There was this gap between the promise of the field and the actual delivery, um, and there was also a pretty high-profile failure in a program called SIR 
SUR, Speech Understanding Research. Um, this was a program in, uh, it was run out of Carnegie Mellon, and it was trying to do computer, uh, like, computer speech recognition and, and, like, text analysis and that type of thing. And I, I don't know the full details of this, but what I heard was that uh, it was a program where it they realized at some point that it only understood concepts if the words were in a certain order. So you couldn't change around the phrasing in a sentence uh, without totally confusing the program. And they're like, hmm, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem very good. And so, you know, there was some hope that there was going to be this big advance or there was this big advance underway in speech recognition or speech understanding. And then kind of once people started to poke at it, uh, it sort of fell apart. So that was another high profile failure that was happening at the same time and contributed to, you know, kind of the general lowered morale around AI in the mid to late 70s. So that's a little bit of introduction. Now we can talk about what were people thinking were the important topics in in AI at the time, and how are people approaching this field? Yeah, so it seems like uh, speech was a big one, the idea that you could talk to your computer. Yes, so the Lighthill Report actually has three different types of uh, AI that it talks about. And it, he labels hmm. them A... Well, we'll start with with A. So A for advanced automation. And this is what we today would recognize as AI. So this includes tasks where you're trying to replace humans by machines uh, for a specific purpose. So this is stuff like machine vision, um, speech or text recognition. Mm. Um, If you're having some kind of intelligent design system that, let's say, is designing, I don't know, cars or something. So it's trying Design to... Design or building? Well, that's actually an interesting point. So this is more focused on trying to replace a replace a person. A lot of these tasks are, yeah, kind of uh, what I would call like intellectual tasks. It's yeah. things that don't involve like your body to do. Um, but that actually brings me to category B, which is kind of interesting. It was B for bridge because um, it's... Uh, a bridge to yet a third category. Um, this is robots. So there were a lot of, yeah, so there were a lot of folks who were really intrigued by the idea that you could have an intelligent system that's inside of a, like, autonomous robot that can be moving through the world and and doing things. And so at the time, there was a lot of research into things like a robot that you could talk to, and then it would move blocks around uh, according to your according to your request or something like this. So there's a lot of robotics research that was happening at the time, and that falls under category B. And then the last category, uh, category C, um, for central nervous system research. Wow. That sounds ambitious. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were, this was really trying to recreate like a mind in a in a kind of more abstract sense that we don't usually think about today. So this was research into actually is there a way that we can build a mock-up of a brain or of a neural a, a, a nervous system and then use it to study intelligence and cognition and you know memory and consciousness and sort of all of this other stuff that we don't really think of today 
in AI. Oh, fascinating. Stuff like, For- can we understand, yeah, can we understand learning? Can we understand perception? Can we understand, uh, you know, the connection between a decision making, like a processor, a computer, and an actual movement? That's how uh, robots start to come in. So this is a, a field of AI that we don't really we don't really see anymore, at least in the part of outside of maybe particular fields of academic cognitive science or something like that. When people are talking about AI, they're usually talking about something that's a lot closer to statistics and machine learning, at least in informal conversation. Interesting. And, and probably that third category is more what people more colloquially in everyday life or in the movies are talking about when they talk about AIs taking over the world or like becoming self-aware or anything like that. Um, it's almost the way that our brains are general purpose. It's maybe that these uh, machines or these algorithms could actually be a lot more general purpose than they actually tend to be in practice today. Yeah, perhaps. So we have a lot of, you know, looking at this now with 2018 perspective, uh, robots are still interesting, I would say, but they're not a topic of deep fascination like they seem to be in the 70s. Um, Advanced automation, category A, I think has actually gone, gotten very, very far. So machine vision, speech and text recognition, um, generative networks, these types of things are all Um, off and running and solving specific problems. They're pretty domain uh, specific, but they are, when people talk about AI, it's category A. Um, And then category C is maybe something that starts to look a little bit more like artificial general intelligence, we might say today, or single algorithms that can solve problems in many different domains or without very much training data or anything like that. And that still remains pretty elusive. So this idea of an AI winter is is pretty interesting. It happened in the 70s. Uh, Why bring it up now? Well, the reason I was reading about this a little bit is because, I mean, there's always contrarians. uh, So take this with a grain of salt, as as always. But, you know, some people are starting to think that AI right now is a little bit overhyped, a little bit oversold, and that those are usually the conditions that precede uh, a little bit more of a crash. Um, and so the idea is, is there another AI winter on the way? And I'm not sure that I necessarily have a super strong opinion one way or another exactly, but I think it is it is fair to point out when there's expectations of AI that exceed <laughs> the ability of the field to deliver. And I think right now there's a lot of stuff that I might've called machine learning or statistics that is now being sold as AI. And so the question is if that's sustainable, really. That's interesting that you say that um, because I I actually, one of the questions I was about to ask is when you say AI winter, does ML come along with that too? Does machine learning count as AI in that context or are they fairly distinct in your mind at least? Well, I don't know. I mean, that depends on (laughs) if you're an uh, you know, a reinforcement learning researcher, or if you're a marketer, um, <laughs> you know, I like these rules or these definitions aren't yeah. super hard and fast. Um, and that's one of the things that makes AI, AI a little bit feels a little bit slippery right now. Cause different people have different definitions of it. 
but I, I don't know. I would suspect that at least right now there's kind of this feeling that, you know, stick AI in front of something and you can go get some, go get somebody to fund your startup or you can sell a thing or whatever. It's like uh, blockchain. Take some sucker for a ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's like blockchain, but with more history behind it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I don't know if machine learning right now is quite as, is quite as hot, which makes me think that it's less likely to, you know, be, uh, winding up for, for a crash, but I mean, who knows? So we'll post uh, a link to one of the, one of the blog posts that I was reading and, and chewing on a little bit when I was preparing for this, which is making, which makes a series of, uh, slightly more cogent arguments about, um, some things we've talked about on this podcast already, stuff like, uh, remember that those episodes we had a little while back about that, that algorithm that maybe could or maybe couldn't detect pneumonia in oh, its pa- right. in patients, you know, right, as well right. as a radiologist. So it talks about that case a little bit, um, talks about, does some analyses of how computationally expensive it is for us to be pushing the envelope in some of these, you know, image recognition tasks and things like that. Um, and then I'll also post a link to the Light Hill Report, which is not the easiest reading, but it's pretty understandable and it gives you a really interesting perspective on what people were thinking of AI uh, almost half a century ago. It's interesting. It kind of, it, it almost feels like a lot of this comes down to the interaction between uh, marketing and the actual thing itself. And it reminds me of, um, like I mentioned, blockchain. Uh, but I guess with that cryptocurrencies and all of that stuff. And it's interesting to see that as uh, public interest in something like Bitcoin uh, uh, wanes and waxes and as the price goes way up and way down and it it rises and it crashes you find that the actual researchers are pretty steadfast in their in their research on it or in their um, attempts to utilize the technology for new uh, and exciting purposes so um so yeah i guess we'll we'll see how this one pans out Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are Ben at LinearDigressions.com and Katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.